Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Jeremy Lemire, and he is a real estate investor in Northeast Wisconsin, and he started in 2010 by building and renovating single-family and duplex properties. Since 2018, he's invested in multifamily properties and later added self-storage facilities to his portfolio. His business entities managed by Star Property Management Group oversee a $20 million portfolio of assets. So Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. I look forward to it. So Jeremy, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Sure. You know, interestingly enough, real estate is one of those things that kind of came back uh, in my life from when I was younger. When I was young, my parents had uh, mom and pop owners of some duplexes in our area. And I remember growing up with them and you know, we kind of learned the first things economics, economics wise around that, where uh, my parents gave us the opportunity to buy the lawnmower that we then went and cut the grass at the properties and things like that, right? And generate real income and return uh, out of what we were doing. Time went on and I eventually got a full-time job, you know, got my driver's license and moved on in, in life and graduated from those smaller little things that I was doing because I was off in the world of work after that point. But, you know, it was about 20 years later, and um, I reached the point where my career was kind of getting topping out in my career, and I was really looking for that opportunity to uh, to come back to real estate. It was uh, immediately after the, the Great Recession in 2008, and I looked at it from an economic standpoint of saying, hey, real estate is is really depressed in value it has to be worth more it costs more to build than what than what you can buy for so i actually started entering uh the real estate market in 2009 going into 2010 and uh at that point we started you know buying with uh the the funds that we had available and after a short period of time we <laughs> we relinquished all of those funds into a couple different assets and um we really kind of stalled out for a little while. And at that point, I had to find other creative ways to start uh, expanding the portfolio because we kind of understood the the rental property thing. And we really got to the point of like, how do we generate the cash in order to buy more assets? Because they are a value and they are cash flowing quite well if you can own them. So we actually figured out how to uh, convert our 401k funds and in historic uh, IRA money that we had put away into self-directed IRAs uh, back over 10, 12 years ago, which was kind of unique at that point. Um, but we did it and uh, we were able to get no recourse debt for some of those, um, figured out what UBIT was and eventually shifted gears a little bit about how we use those funds in SD IRAs. But that was uh, another expansion that we were able to make and add to the portfolio. So then we moved on to uh, uh, rehabbing properties and started to do rehab here and sell the property. And then we would do a burr strategy and kind of flip flop back and forth. And then after a few years, it really became all burr activity because we had a portfolio that really got us rolling where we never had to flip another property for sale. So we just kept going with that for probably about five, six years. 
And then we started to decide uh, we needed to get bigger faster. And we got into multifamily and went through the multifamily program, you know, really got onboarded. I had a limiting belief that that was too big of an asset to do. Um, but uh, got myself centered around some folks that that it made sense to uh, support, be supported by. And uh, we bought our first multifamily property, figured that all out, that it was manageable and kind of got comfortable with that and then started scaling up the portfolio beyond that. And uh, we really were looking for more and more assets in our area. And as a competitive force, it kind of caused us to diversify a little bit at that point. So we started looking at cap rates, you know, what we could buy different assets for. So we, we did a couple commercial properties and we did a couple self-storage properties. And when we did the self-storage properties, we really started to syndicate and bring other people uh, into those investment deals and uh, provide them passive income as well. So from there, we've just kind of grown and, and added additional assets and continue to kind of look at uh, adjoining asset classes and it, frankly want to continue to grow and learn in, in the real estate space. So it's always intriguing to do something real close to what you've done before. So Jeremy, um, when you were getting into real estate, you said that your career had kind of topped out at that time. Did you end up transitioning from what you were doing in the at that time into full-time real estate or was there like a transition period? Um, how did that kind of come about? Yeah. Uh, so I had a situation happen where the company was growing actually tremendously. And there was a, a critical point where they ended up hiring someone as they created a new position. So at that point, I realized, you know, now they put a person in a brand new role, uh, hired for that role. And I really had nowhere to go until the company effectively doubled or tripled again in scale before there would be the need for anyone else around that role. So I knew at that point that if I was going to um, build a career there, that wasn't going to happen any further. So, you know, not in the timeline that I really was planning for. So at that point, I, I started to scale up my personal business significantly more and uh, started heading towards the preparations for other employees and things like that. And uh, uh, really was, that's where we started to kind of get into that syndication side where we could get a critical scale with enough capital to swing me uh, from having to be in my full-time job, my full-time W-2 job into a full-time role in the real estate side and being fully active within it. So it was a transition of about three years uh, to get through that process. But um, you know, we set our set our sights on what needed to happen and we worked diligently to to push that direction and, and we made it happen. Did you set the timeline of three years or did you set like certain milestones that you were going to hit before you would officially make that transition? Yeah, I actually it kind of, you don't know which one's going to happen first. So it, it's kind of this balance, call it this project management balance of, of milestones and kind of minimum thresholds and what what kind of pain might be there at certain minimum thresholds. So the first one was at one year, I want to be in a position where I might reduce my income, but I can refocus and do something. I'm doing something different and start to scale up from there, kind of shifting gears. Um, we made it to that milestone and I was still able to continue to do my W-2 work at that point. So I continued to do it. So i Cross that first minimum threshold. And then we reached the second threshold, which was, hey, we're at parity. 
uh, if I leave this job because you know it's just getting to be overwhelming doing both of these activities, I can because now it it won't change lifestyle uh, in any significant way. And uh, interestingly enough, it really was a mindset shift then at that point, and it really changed my my thought of my W two job and made it way less unbearable. Because it was it was kind of voluntary to go to work at that point. You know, it's like if this becomes a big enough headache, I'm just out of here kind of thing. Right. So at that point, I stayed doing my W-2 job and continued down the path of growing the business. And I really didn't have to be in that mode anymore, but it was manageable. And then at at a certain point, uh, uh it was about a year after that point, um, I had the opportunity to actually exit from the company uh, through a planned exit. And uh, so I took that opportunity and, you know, it was perfect kind of just a reach out to land where I wanted to be a couple of years before, but we were able to make that transition in a very effective way in a not very problematic way from my, from my W2 job where I was able to actually exit softly and, and leave things in really great shape. Cause I really did spend the three years developing a team. Uh, around me because I my mindset was already in the mode of like I'm not protecting my job because I'm I'm on my way out, so I was really trying to pass the work to others and enabling them to do the activities, and it it afforded me a really simple transition by by shifting that workload. That's a really powerful position to be in where your reliancy is no longer, I have to be in this job because I'm reliant on this one paycheck. But now I have the option of just staying in this job, um, you know, for however long I'd like to, but I have the option to leaving whenever I feel like it or whenever I decide to. Yeah. And, and I was fortunate that I was able to add employee base to my job function because of some other situations of the growth that was going on around us. And it it really set up a transition for me, you know, I was working as a manager in the engineering side and it actually, it actually improved my performance for my, for my W2 job because it forced me to hand off all of the work and only be a manager. Prior to that, I was kind of a working manager where I was, you know, doing a certain amount of the work myself, as well as several other team members that I managed. And this really got to the point where I was pushed at the goal of making sure everyone else was doing the activities and getting it all done. And they were all capable and complementary to each other. So it really enabled me to kind of back away and just help make sure things were working right and be able to be focused on the other things I was doing rather than the high level of details that I would have had to keep in my head and try to sort out along with my regular business if I were doing all the day-to-day things that, that the job would have taken. So then for you, how did you go from, you know, that first real estate investment property and then start to continue to grow it and build out the portfolio? Like what allowed you to continue growing up to a point where you became comfortable with or um, that point where, you know, you had that option of whether or not you wanted to stay within your job? Yeah, I think one of the most powerful things was staying educated and understanding the automation and figuring out where and when to insert it. So we probably acquired about 14, 15 properties. And then we started to do the multifamily. And then I bought another eight unit right after that. So we very quickly went from like 14 to 15 properties up to 50 units. And it was like, we knew that we had to do something different. At the time I was completing and filling out each of the, and this is this is a few years ago and technology has evolved, but 
we're filling out Word documents with each of the leases having to go manually through and populate the data, right? And then when you get done with that, then you're maintaining a contact list in your email and things like that. And if your text messages are on your phone and all that sort of stuff, we knew at that point, this is a critical critical juncture. So we added a property management software platform and we literally went onto the platform and we cut the work down to one third or less by going up in number of unit count, but having less work because I no longer had to meet with people to sign leases. Everything was electronic. A majority of their payments were now coming in electronically and auto deposited through the software. It just dropped a ton of the workload that was necessary for 18 units and made it made 50 units fit within that 18 units of of reality. And up until that point, you were doing all of this on your own at that point, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. Uh, I was doing that property management activity in the evening on weekends. So, you know, processing rent payment checks that were coming in, whether it was, uh, I'll call it service calls or responding to renewals and all the following up with all of those things. And, you know, as we all know, when you get that busy, there's certain levels of detail that fall off and doing inspections if, you know, it became problematic because that was extra time to have to go out there and do that. Anyway, it, it really was a game changer when we started putting systems in place, uh, automated systems that were very cost effective uh, per month. Was there a difference other than, you know, the size volume of the number of units that you were managing when you were doing this on your own from going from one to two to like over 50? Uh, having a list of contacts that you can actually get things done with, you can overwhelm if you if you built out your systems or your contact list with individuals that were just helping you do a little bit of work. So you have a couple properties and you have a a part-time plumber that's doing some stuff. And then all of a sudden you go to 50 properties and you start doing renovations or something. And all of a sudden your evening part-time plumber person can't handle your workload, right? Now you're back without any support again. I would say one of the biggest things was being able to scale and develop uh, relationships that were meant to be business oriented and at full scale and not not kind of in the hobby uh, hobby side of the business. And how are you finding those people to add onto your team as you continue to grow? Lots of referrals. So local real estate groups and things like that, um, they're invaluable hearing and seeing names pop up over and over again and knowing that those individuals are being referred to because they deliver on results. Uh, and they've also been, in a sense, uh, somewhat tested in the value equation. So you understand what you're getting service level for the cost you know, to be able to make it match in with your business activity that you're trying to do. And then at what point when you decided to that, you know, you capped out after using all your own equity and your own uh, capital, and then you wanted to continue to grow and scale this business, you got into multifamily. So at what point did you uh, make that transition? And what were the steps that you had to take in order to move into the larger units? I think having that base of experience is key because it made the next step of identifying investors easier. Because if you enter syndication straight from no real estate experience, it's quite a challenging uh, road because people may know you, they may like you, but can they trust you in the real estate world? Do you make good decisions when it comes to that type of asset class compared to the work that maybe you have experience in before? We had all of that. You know, we were operating and exiting the workforce under the real estate 
umbrella, people realize that, boy, there's got to be some success there. And being able to go out and raise capital then at that point with duration and experience really did make um, the, the move to syndication a bit easier. There was several of the legs of the stool were already there and demonstrated. We just had to close the gap on the last one. And in all honesty, um, it really becomes a question of, do you want to get bigger or, and busier? Because there's a, there's, a, right, there's a lot of work that comes with that scale. And you either have to start adding staff or um, you're that much busier, or you need to just stay at a certain size that you can manage if that's, if that's the portfolio that you want to have. Because in the end, you're expending time and resources to help others make money with their, with their money. And it may not necessarily benefit you dollar for dollar as well as it did when you had your own portfolio and you were 100% invested in all the assets that you made perform. Was that the first time that you were able to raise capital? Was that the first time that you went out to external investors? Yeah, when we when we did our first storage unit expansion, uh, that was the first uh, first path into it. And we started at a fairly small uh, capital raise of around a half a million dollars. Uh, we did that one. We were successful at it. We were able to find another asset. And ultimately, each time that we've raised capital, we basically double our goal that that we had before and uh, have been able to achieve it. Since it was your first time raising capital, where did you start with first with reaching out to potential investors within your network? I think the important part is uh, understanding your strengths and your weaknesses and my strength is operation side. My weakness is in that sales side. It has to sell itself. So the reality was I needed to add bandwidth from a team standpoint. So at that point, I brought another individual in that was much stronger from a capital raising and relationship standpoint and uh, brought that individual in to help manage the investor side and everything else and partnered together it worked extremely well because I could talk through the numbers and the operations and other activities, as well as uh, bring a certain uh, number of investors to the table for the deal. And on the other side of the equation, I had someone who had a large network at which we could take a look at and offer the various syndications to and uh, gave an opportunity for for myself to have almost a, a warm lead to be able to uh, invest with and a working relationship with an individual that was already connected to these individuals. So it was kind of uh, uh, a very symbiotic bringing together of our two core skills uh, to make the deals work. And we did several deals, probably five deals since then uh, together because of that positive benefit that we've been able to get. So then since then, you've gotten into other commercial properties, self-storage units as well. Um, What kind of led into expanding the different asset classes um, versus sticking to one specific asset class? And then what are some of the other asset classes that you're looking into now? We are heavily focused on managing our assets. Our success consistently comes from knowing the nuts and bolts of the of the asset that we're acquiring, You know, doing due diligence at that level. It's very hard to do that if you're just investing in someone else's syndication. You really have to repeat all of the work in order to truly get to the level of detail of trust that you can have with how how you choose what the rents are going to be in your modeling, things like that. Um, without going into the market level of detail, you're going to miss something. 
And that is really key for us in, in the success. That really has been our primary lever in order to, to make sure that we can get to the, to the outcome that we're looking for. And then for you, what is your next focus then? Yeah, so we've done several different asset classes and it's primarily driven because we want to manage our assets and we need them locally and we have a fairly small market. So it's forced us across those asset classes. We're starting to bridge out a little bit more in our geography, reaching further distances, putting more systems in place for uh, developing teams in those other more remote locations. So we're actually expanding out and doing some uh, building or full development level stuff. Uh, where we're building multiple duplexes, uh, build-to-rent type things. Uh, we're also doing some hotel-to-multifamily conversion activity. We're really kind of sharpening our our pencils on what it takes to go through that process um, because it is it is very complex. The conversion of an asset is, I would say, more complex than ground up of a brand new asset because there are all kinds of nuances about how the things were built before versus the building code that you're you're transitioning into and there's a lot of hidden costs that are hard to see before they actually start to occur or during the due diligence and assessment process lots of check sheets that you would have to have if you're doing ground up construction uh the construction crew you know the estimating activity that they do they understand there's nothing there today you have to buy everything in in that other model of conversion it's what's missing and making sure that you add it and how much does it cost uh, incrementally sometimes to convert it than it even does to build new. Especially in today's market where there's a lot of volatility that's kind of going on right now. What are some of the strategies or what are the things that you're doing today to protect yourself um, and the company in case of a downturn or you know continuous change within the real estate environment? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing right now is making sure that everything can stay connected step to step to step. And what I mean by that is the banks are a lot more rigid about when they want to loan you money for your deal. The building process, um, things are a lot more rigid about making sure that you meet um, certain code elements and things like that. Depends on what market you're in, in a lot of cases, but you have to connect all the dots and your building plans can blow up your financing activities and you can have significant issues from there. It can mess up your operating capability if you can't hit timelines and maybe you're not generating the revenue that you thought you were going to generate while you're in the construction phase. And all of those with the sensitivity that the banks have right now can cause everything to come to a stop very quickly or require a significant capital infusion. Um, and in that case, they they will be looking at bigger balance sheets uh, in order to actually fund the projects before you start. So, Jeremy, how has real estate investing impacted your life? You know, <laughs> when I was young, um, I lost my my dad when I was when I was just coming out of high school, and um, he always had a goal of retiring at fifty five. So he never made it there. So it was always my goal to do everything I could to make sure I could retire by the time I was 55. And, you know, and what I described earlier, the reality was I hit 45 and it was at that point where if I go do real estate, I'm doing it because I want to do it. I don't even need to stay working anymore at that point. So it was pretty crazy that real estate changed for me so significantly a goal that might, might've been possible at 55 and turned it to a 45 goal uh, or an outcome of 45 
and actually turned things around so significantly that you know now it's about it's about uh, generational wealth for i have three three kids and it's about generational wealth for them that by the time they get to working age and you know out of college and are really understanding what it's like to be in the w2 world they'll have no need necessarily to be there but we have an opportunity to start a business venture for each and every one of them that can put them in a different place on the map by the time they're 35. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I should have started it way sooner. I didn't have to be, be hands on and do all of it myself. Um, I just grew up in the world of, you know, doing everything hands on in yourself and that being as big as it would get. And that's not at all true. And fortunately, in today's world with the Internet and the learning and the books, uh, the reality of that is way more prevalent than what it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And I think that's a reality for a lot of people is that they think that they have to do this all themselves, you know, like the solopreneurs, uh, whereas you can get into another side of real estate where you can bring in partners, trusted partners to do things and accomplish bigger things that you yourself probably wouldn't be able to do so. And I think that's the key that I've found in my journey is building relationships. And I've I've always waited to act on those relationships until I knew that they were rock solid. And that has been the most pivotal thing that I've had in my in my career is you're five years down the road and you know that your morals and your ethics really align to each other. Um, that's that's what's going to make successful. There's no question uh, how things are going to get handled in the future if you have that that common sound base. And so then what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think it's their tenacity to to stick with it because you know real estate is a time based benefit asset. You can be more conservative and still have the same outcome. You can get more risky. You may have very much the the big ups and downs, you know, in the risk things that can happen. But if you're willing to stick with it, I don't think it's significant work. But if you're willing to stick with it and use time to your advantage, it will grow to something. If you buy reasonably well and you just hold and operate well. So Jeremy, where can our listeners find out more about what you're doing in this space? Sure. You can find more information about me at Star Capital Management Group, uh, starcmg.com or Jeremy at starcmg.com. Awesome. Jeremy, thank you so much for all of your time today. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.